Turn to Luke chapter 12. We finally have made it to the end of this very long chapter. All 59 verses shall we cover. This morning, companion message to last week, a message I've entitled, Storm Clouds Rising. Last time we saw, indeed, and that is the truth, that Jesus is coming soon. Amen? The question for us still remains to this day, when? It's a common thought process in those who love the Lord. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name above all the earth. Amen? But at times in our world, it doesn't seem as though the excellent name of the Lord is being spoken of much anymore. And in fact, it is everything but the excellent name of the Lord that seems to be in the forefront of many people's hearts and minds. And so this morning, as we finish up this passage, we look at what Jesus had to say about His soon coming. And it's important to remember that He is instructing two groups of people this morning. He's instructing His mighty men, his disciples, the close ones to him, and then he's going to instruct the multitudes. He gives both of them the same basic instruction from a slightly different point of view. And so this passage is for us this morning. Sometimes we look at these prophetic passages and we're tempted to believe, ah, it's never going to happen. And you might be thinking, as I put in this first point in my notes, I don't really think I like what Jesus is saying here. I, I kind of like the lamb, but I'm not so fond of the lion coming. I, I like the the sweet, the, the fluffy kind of Jesus that many people in the world uh, really cling to. There are those that simply ignore what the Bible has to say about God's justice, His righteousness, and ultimately His judgment. God is just. God is perfect in all of His ways. And one day, the age of grace will end. In the meantime, as we began really the part one of this message, if you will, last week, in that Jesus is coming soon, one day... All of this chaos and strife and difficulty and heartache is going to come to an end. And frankly, I can't wait. I don't know how much worse the world can really get before the Lord returns. But I know this, it is getting worse. It's not getting better. It's becoming more despicable and more detestable with each passing day. And if you're truly walking with the Lord, that's not a mystery to you. If you have children in school, it's certainly not a mystery to you. If you watch the news, it's not a mystery to you. If your eyes are on Israel, the God's timepiece, it's not a mystery to you. In fact, it will come in 3D Technicolor this morning. And so, storm clouds rising. We'll pick up in verse 49 and through the end of the chapter. And let's pray 
and ask God that he would speak to us this morning by the power of his word. Father, we come to you as your children. Lord, as the multitude, as your disciples, wanting to hear what the Spirit would have to say to us. And Lord, we admit that we have faults and failings. We surely don't want to be judgmental as children of grace. But we also recognize and see the times and the seasons, the hour. And we believe, God, that your word is true. And so we can't ignore these passages that we remind of that you're going to come one day again. And when you do, uh, it will be to finish the work that you began, Lord, so long ago, to bring an end to the reign of sin. Lord, in a practical sense, Lord, to finish it, to put to final end the rebellion. And so, God, we thank you, we praise you, pray that you would now use this time for all of your kingdom purposes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 49, and I don't know about you, but don't particularly care for these first couple of verses. I came to send fire on the earth. I remind you, this is Jesus speaking. I came to send fire on the earth. And we'll get to the two types of fire because there really are two of them. And how I wish it were already kindled. Kind of sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? I came to send fire and I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with. And so he's looking forward. A short time later, the events of the week of the cross will unfold. And how distressed I am till it is accomplished. That word distressed there is actually better translated, straightened. How narrow. How pressed in until it's accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? And this is where those who believe that you can overemphasize the love of God at the expense of the righteousness of God are dead wrong. Because God is both. Now, He's perfectly loving. He is also perfectly just. He is perfectly righteous. And one day, the collective sin of mankind will have run its course. In His grace, God is allowing all kinds of things to happen, which we'll look at some of them this morning. I tell you, Not at all, but rather division. For those of you that walk with the Lord for any length of period of time, you have likely experienced that division. He's going to give us a few pictures of it here in a moment. But that division can be husband against wife. It can be son against mother. It can be father against daughter. It can be brother against sister. 
It is absolutely the world against Christ. And as I've shared with you so many times, you can talk all day long about God. All day long, to almost anybody. And people will listen. They will probably even get engaged. But the moment you switch from God, the Creator, to Jesus Christ, the Savior, all hell breaks loose. Amen? That's what happens. You can talk to people about God all day long. But don't bring up that Jesus dude. Don't talk to me about that narrow way. Do not tell me that I have to get saved. For sure, don't repeat to me John 14, 6, for I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So when Jesus speaks these words, he is very aware as God the division that he will bring. Because Christ divides. The cross is the most divisive sign in the entire world, if you care to look at it that way. Because it says you are either saved or you are damned. You're either in or you're out. You're a sheep, you're a goat, you're a saint, or you're an ain't. There's no middle ground. You're one or the other. And so for the billions of people who are not saved, they cling to the fact that there's got to be another way. That's why they'll talk about God, but don't want to hear about Jesus. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. And from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son, and son against father, and mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You get the picture. He's being very descriptive here. He's saying, look, this is what's going to happen. Because we come to Christ one at a time, amen? There's no such thing as group family salvation. Parent gets saved, you're all saved. You're living in this house, you're all saved. Now, of course, there are promises in the Bible that says if you live godly in Christ Jesus, when your children get old, they'll not depart from those ways. So our part is to live it, do it, and not be hypocrites, absolutely, to provide the best chance for each one of us to come by faith to Christ. But Christ alone saves. That's going to divide houses. I can tell you emphatically in this church, there are homes that are divided over the issue of Christ. In this church. There are families in this church where husband is saved, wife is not. There are families where wife is saved, husband is not. There are many families where children are saved and parents are not. I can tell you emphatically this verse is true. Christ divides homes. He also, in a greater sense, divides the world. Think about it for a second. 
That's why you have those conversations at work. That's why that Muslim that you work with is so adverse to your Christian faith. Because he's divided over the issue of who is Christ. Because we believe he's the savior of the world. They believe he's merely one of many prophets. That's the same thing that happens if you have a Buddhist friend. If you have a Mormon friend, they got a totally different Jesus. Christ divides. And he is today dividing the whole world. And there's no escaping it. There is no such thing as universal salvation, which simply treats it this way. God is so good and so loving that there is no hell that ultimately everybody gets saved. If you believe that, you don't believe your Bible. Because the number one teacher on hell was Jesus himself. I don't think he would have told us that it was possible for us to go there and it not be true. That would make him a liar. So there is a heaven and there is a hell. And there is only one way to get there, so Christ divides. You see, in the context of this passage this morning, Jesus was teaching, remember, he said, you've got to live for the right world. And you've got to be looking forward to the world that is to come. Amen? Jesus is coming soon. And he's bringing with him, after he finishes the reign of sin, fights the battle of Armageddon, he's bringing a thousand years of peace on this earth without sin. But in the meantime, it's going to get ugly. And if we're living for the wrong world, we're going to be going the world's way. And that's why Christians who get totally caught up in the way the world functions and operates and try to please the world are so miserable. You see, as you look at these things, you have to remember what Jesus is really getting at. He says, look, I've come to bring fire on the earth. There are two types of fire. Both are mentioned as fire in Scripture. There is first the Pentecostal fire, which gave birth to us, by the way. That's how the church got empowered. Amen? And I'm not talking, if you guys all start pogoing at worship, or that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the work of the Spirit in the life of believers that has produced the church. That Acts chapter 2, beginning. It says, look, here's the church at work. And I would say to you, and I know this sounds a little harsh and somewhat judgmental, but I'm saying it for point of focus. I think that light's flickering in our world. I I believe it's been brighter in the past. And I believe there are still some that through whom it shines brightly. But I do believe that that fire that ignited the church has become a a dull candle. The second type of fire, which fell on national Israel, was that punitive fire that says, look, this is the Messiah. This is the Lord of glory. Hear Him. They did not hear Him. And as we look at our world, we can see that that fire also is still burning. That punitive fire, Israel, is the most contested piece of real estate on planet Earth. 
the Temple Mount specifically is the most hostile chunk of dirt on the planet. And it has been so for millennia. You see, Jesus was bringing division. And that fire that was birthed then, that Pentecostal revival, you remember the prophet Joel? We studied him on Wednesday night, amen? He said that there would be a pouring out of the Spirit in the last days. It's going to come. And it's actually going to come to national Israel. But we've been birthed out of that. But what fell on Israel exists still today. And if you look at Israel's history for the last 2,000 years, what do you see? You see them scattered. You see them divided. You see them hated. You see them hounded. You see them absolutely spat upon by the world. You see that this tiny little nation of some 8 million people is really the most despised people group on the planet. Nobody stands with them. And thanks to our current administration, it's looking a little grim that we're going to stand with them as a people. I hope that doesn't happen. I pray it's not so. But your Bible said, because they ignored the truth of what they already knew, the whole Old Testament, the Torah, the Tanakh, spoke of the coming Messiah. And they rejected him. And because of that, that punitive fire has fallen upon Israel. 70 AD, the Roman general Titus, who would become the 10th Caesar, besieged Jerusalem for 47 days. According to the Roman historian, who happened to also be Jewish, Flavius Josephus, declared that some 1.1 million Jews were killed during that siege. Tens of thousands of them were crucified during that siege. Jerusalem was then sacked, it was then burned, and every stone from the temple was pushed off the temple mount and into the valleys that surround it. And it lies so to this day. There would then be a further oppression by the Romans in A.D. 135. Because the Jews began to regather strength. But from A.D. 135 until 1948, May 14, 1948, the Jews were kicked out of their own land. They did not reside there. Why? Because God meant what he said and said what he meant. I came to bring division. Jesus was the only way. And God is still working on national Israel to this day. You want to hear an interesting man speak? Listen to some of the speeches that Benjamin Netanyahu has been making lately. He's quoting from the prophet Joel. He's quoting from the prophet Zechariah. He is quoting from the prophet Ezekiel. And he's saying, Israel's time has come. As we look at our world, of course, we can fast forward to the 1940s, to the Holocaust. And if anybody is left on this planet 
that misunderstands what occurred to the, the Jewish people during that time. It's complete insanity. I mean, I've had the, the privilege, and I'll call it a privilege, it's probably the most gruesome privilege that I can imagine at this current moment in time, to visit the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, to visit Yad Vashem, and to wander those halls. It, it's, it's disturbing in a degree that I can't even share with you how disturbing it is to stand on a glass floor filled with the shoes from Auschwitz. And what people don't often remember, we, we think of the Holocaust as this, this thing that kind of occurred over the entire Second World War, and actually the persecution of the Jewish people began in, in 1933. But the prosecution of the Jewish people took place almost exclusively during three, year, three years of the Second World War. And very specifically, from 1942, April to November, two and a half million Jews were killed in 250 days. Here's why I'm telling you this. As Christians, do you believe that God is sovereign? I would believe that everyone in here who professes Christ believes that God is 100% sovereign. That there's nothing outside of his ability. He is lacking no power. He has no lack of information. He is absolutely sovereign in the universe. Amen? Can we say amen? amen? Here's why I say this to you. Why did God let that happen? Because if God is God, he could have stopped it. God is God. He could have stopped it. He could have stopped the Babylonians. He could have stopped the Assyrians. He could have stopped the Romans. Don't underestimate the amount of horrible things that the Lord allows mankind to perpetrate upon itself for the purpose of that punitive fire. To heat up, to winnow, to cause people to come to grips with, look, I'm not kidding, says the Lord. There's no verse in the Bible that says that, by the way. That is a culmination of an awful lot of Scripture. God's not kidding. He wasn't messing around. He was not joking. Jesus wasn't joking. I came to bring division. Why? Because unless you get the division part... You cannot be saved. You have to understand there's a need for a Savior. You have to come to terms with the fact that you are a sinner. And you need to be saved. And if there aren't saints and ain'ts, if there isn't a clear division, then we'll all just be the same. So Christ came to bring division. That's hard for us. It's hard for me. I want to tell you straight up, that's hard for me as a pastor. Matter of fact, I'll go one step further. I don't like it. I don't like the fact that there have been millions upon millions of people who have perished without Christ. There will be millions more. There will be billions more, according to your Bible.
Here's the good news. It doesn't have to be that way. What Jesus said then is true today. He who believes in me, though he shall die, yet shall he live, for I am the resurrection and the life. Amen? But he said, it's just me. It's just me. And I believe that what is happening in our world right now is that the Lord is establishing in His sovereign plan that Romans chapter 11 is going to be fulfilled soon. How soon? I do not know. So don't ask me to give you a date. I can't do it. Bible says not to, as I shared with you last time. Won't do it. But I know it's getting closer because He said in His Word that one day all Israel will be saved. That nationally, that punitive fire will switch back to the Pentecostal fire. That that which was meant to bring them to Christ will one day bring them back into that place. And because of that, when you look at your Bible, you can't read the book of Revelation and go, man, God's at work in the lives of the Jewish people. Now, we, we as human beings can't fathom that God would allow the, the heinous things that are going to happen. When you read from Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation 19, it is really hard to swallow. The two-thirds of the world's population one day at the rise of the Antichrist, after the rapture happens, two-thirds of the world is going to be wiped out. But your Bible says it. Jeff doesn't say it. A bunch of Bible teachers don't say it. Your Bible says it. And it's the same Bible that says by Grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, none of us can boast. Amen? So the same Bible that says you're saved by grace and through faith also says, listen up. I'm going to bring punitive fire, and I'm going to bring Pentecostal fire, but the hope is is that people will feel the need for the Savior. There's a purpose to it. I believe that God is about to make good on that covenant promise. And that once the rapture happens, all of those events that are laid out there that we don't really want to see happen, I don't want to see them happen. I don't want to see nuclear war on the earth, but I believe that one day it's going to happen. I do not want to see whole people groups destroyed during warfare, but I believe my Bible says it's going to happen. And if you want to allegorize everything, if you want to turn it all into some mental gymnastics picture for yourselves, uh, I think one day you're going to prove to yourself that it was wrong. Because my Bible clearly says that in the last days it would be as it is today. And so the Lord in that sense didn't come to bring peace, but division. The second group, pick up with me in verse 54 if you would. And then also the multitudes. Notice this, he speaks to them. Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately say a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be a hot weather, and there it is. Hypocrites. I, I call this the weather channel passage. We know about El Nino, but not about El Señor. You know, we we oh yeah, El Nino. That's a warming of the latter, you know, the southern latitudes of the world. But what about Israel? You get the point? 
Well, we can tell what the weather's going to do. They can look out the Mediterranean. They can see the clouds. The wind would blow off the ocean. Ah, it's going to be a hot day. But what about our world? What about our world? Look, it's going to rain. He goes on to say, hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky. They can look up at the sky and go, look, it's going to be cloudy today. It's kind of like the Oki weather station. It's a little disc on a string, and if there's a shadow underneath it, it's sunny. If it's wet on top, it's going to rain. We're about that bright most of the time. If you look out at the world, it's pretty clear what's going on. The world hates Israel. The world would be really, really, really happy if Israel went away. And pretty much everybody's telling them what they ought to do. Amen? God told them what to do. He said in Joshua, cross the river, go take the land. It's yours. He didn't say, well, kind of make peace with them. Matter of fact, if you join us in Joshua, you're going to find out. He said, go kill every last one of them. Don't let any of them live because you're a holy people. There is no negotiating with terrorists. Can I tell you that? There isn't any negotiating with terrorists because they don't live by the same principles that we live by. You can't tell people whose idea of a good day is sending a child strapped with bombs, marbles, and nails to go blow themselves up at a bus stop and then go, Alua Akbar! Glory to God! You cannot negotiate with people like that. They don't believe the same things. What you have to do is you've got to present the gospel to them so they can get saved, so they change their heart, and then they won't blow people up. Christ brings division. I can probably get arrested for what I just said if I wasn't in this building saying it. You see, he goes on to say, Yes, and why even you yourselves? You can't discern the time. Do you not judge what is right? How can you not tell what's right in the world? When you go to your adversary, the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him. In other words, try and be peaceable with all men, exactly as your Bible says. As best as it lies with you, live peaceably with all men. Do what you can. Lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you in prison. And I tell you, you shall not depart from there until you've paid every last mite. Remember what a mite is? It was the smallest coinage that you could possibly have during biblical times. It was called a widow's mite, generally speaking. It was a small, usually bronze or copper coin. It was virtually worthless. But God says, look, I'm just. I'm holy. And so they had been told what was going on. If you read your Bibles, Daniel tells us when. Micah tells us the place. Isaiah told us the plan that God had. The Psalms tell us the crucifixion. We got told. So did the Jews. We knew in advance the Messiah was coming, but we could not tell. And so the Lord begins this final oration. Look, it's apparent. Here's what's approaching. Can you not see it? That message is for us. It's apparent. It's approaching. Can you not see it? You can try and ignore it if you want. You can go on blaming Israel for everything that's going on in the Middle East. You know who's actually at fault? God. 
God said, look, I've made a covenant with you. I'm keeping the covenant. This is my land. Read the book of Joel, chapter 3 specifically. It's my land. And ultimately, the tribulation is going to happen because of what Joel chapter 3 says. They have scattered you amongst the peoples of the earth. They have divided up my land, he said through the prophet Joel, and you have persecuted my people. We actually know the reason the tribulation is going to one day come. It's what it says. The world's not standing still. It's on a collision course with God. That's what's happening in our world. As you look at these things, it's not hard to see if you throw out the world's mentality. The world's mentality is, we're all getting better. The world's mentality is, somehow it all works out in the end. And we'll become the center of our own little universe. We're going to be the highest order of evolution. But that's not what's going to happen, folks. Not because I say so. Jesus said so. You you cannot read the Olivet Discourse and go, well, that's not going to actually happen. Because the whole thing is when it was in direct response to the disciples' questions, can you tell us when the end's going to come? And what it's going to look like? You see, the time that we live in, I believe, is getting close to the time when the last might has been paid. There are two groups of people that are really in view in this passage. One is national Israel. The other is you. Us. The church. Why do I say that? Because look at what's happening to the church. The church has become powerless. The church has become gutless. The church has become spineless, and the church is abandoning. And I don't mean this church or every church. I do not mean every church that is of a denomination. I do not mean every pastor in those denominations. But the church as a whole, Bible-teaching churches that once used to proclaim boldly that Jesus Christ alone is the way of salvation, that used to boldly say his word is truth and the only authority on life and godliness, have not only abandoned that truth, but have gone the other way. And your Bible says that in the last days, Second Timothy chapter 3, last days, perilous times will come, People will then be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, slanderers. They'll have no self-control. Duh! No self-control. I shared with you last. We can't make fast food commercials without putting sexual innuendo in them. We can't sell anything. The primary supporters of most sports teams are things that we know kill people. Alcoholism is second only to cancer in number of deaths directly attributed. You get it? And yet we're like, oh well, you know, you'll be really cool if you just drink El Patron. You'll become super awesome, drink Captain Morgan, you'll become like a pirate, and your wife will fall madly in love with you because you're a pirate. 
we're losing it. They'll become traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God in the last days. Having, and this is important, a form of godliness, but denying its power. From such people, Paul wrote to Timothy, turn away. Why? Because they're cancerous. I'm going to share a couple of things with you now. And as I do, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And I'm going to ask the elders to begin to pass out the elements of communion. But I want to share a couple of things with you from my heart. And I want you to understand exactly why I'm saying what I'm going to say. And you can do all the research yourself. You can check these things out. But if you look down the list of the major denominations in this country, and I'm talking about specifically the USA, you're going to find one after another has fallen into the trap of denying the plain teachings of Scripture. What I'm going to share with you right now is from their own websites. Okay, it's Not my guess. It's not somebody told me, well, I think these guys are. These are the churches that plainly deny the teaching of Scripture. And I want to acknowledge very openly that there are pastors in every one of these denominations that hate what's happening to their denomination. There are people in the churches that hate what's happening in their church. And there are churches within those denominations that have opted to opt out so that they're not associated. But let me just give you a list, a few of them, not all of them, that have now accepted that you can be a homosexual and be a pastor. Which, by the way, if you read Romans chapter 1, Galatians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there is no way in the world that you can come up with someone can be a homosexual and be a pastor. No matter what you might think on the individual personal level, you can't engage in sin openly and be a pastor. Some of those churches, and it's going to boggle your mind. And I want to read specifically from one. Evangelical Anglican Church of America. Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the Episcopal Church, USA, Friends General Conference, Presbyterian Church, USA, the Old Catholic Church, Metropolitan Community Churches, Progressive Christian Alliance, Reformed Anglican Church, every one of those churches in their own bylaws now says, we don't believe what Scripture says. Why is that important? Because if you can deny Romans 1, you can deny Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. If you can deny 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you can deny John 3:16. If you start picking and choosing what you are going to say is not true, then it makes you the judge of what God accepts. And I say to you, 
That's why Jesus said, I have come to bring division. And that's why Paul said to Timothy, in the last days, perilous times will come. Because people will heap up for themselves teachers, but deny the power. What's the power? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not up to us. It's up to him. August 21st of 2009, when we finished passing out the elements. Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, that's the seventh largest Christian denomination in the United States, over four million members, called a church-wide assembly in Minneapolis. They voted to have homosexuals in committed monogamous relationships ordained as pastors. It's in their bylaws. My Bible says, that that's open rebellion to God. In fact, it plainly states that you will not inherit the kingdom of God if you practice such things. So how in the world can we have someone who is ordained to stand before other people and expound upon the things that make you a Christian, the doctrines of the faith, and at the same time say, well, that part of the Bible, we don't believe. Perilous times have come. The punitive fire is going to come again to this earth. The good news is, this took care of it. This took care of it. There is no reason for anybody to perish. But we must stand for the truth, family of God. We must preach Christ like never before. We must state categorically that his word is our authority on life and godliness. All of it. Even if it disagrees with the social norms of our day. Even if it, as Jesus said, get this, divides your family. Because you can't be one of his kids and make up your own rules. Now, is there grace for those failures? Of course. There's grace for all of our inadequacies, failures, and faux pas. But you cannot presume upon the cross of Christ to cover rebellion. It doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. It says, because of mankind's disobedience and rebellion. Read those three passages I just gave you. Romans chapter 1, Galatians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and figure out how you can possibly live a life of debauchery of any kind in open rebellion to God and claim that you have Christ. The Bible says you can't. So here's my suggestion. We just simply do what he says. We believe that what he said is true. Is that going to divide our families at times? Yes. But the only way for them to know how to be saved is for us to live it. And to not compromise it. 
for us to say proudly and boldly, Thus says the Lord. And offer grace. And offer His mercy. And offer the cross of Christ that will, Christ's blood will absolutely remit all sin that's ever been committed in your life. And so as you hold these elements in your hand, that's why Jesus said, as often as you do this, do so in remembrance of me. Not just part of him. All of him. Pentecostal fire, punitive fire. Grace, mercy, love, tenderness, gentleness, and absolute disdain for sin. Hatred for it, in fact. For the part that says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the ability to become the sons and the daughters of God. And to those who reject me, Jesus said, you are either for me or against me. So as we pray and as we partake, beloved family, don't deny the plain teaching of Scripture. Uphold it. And if it brings some division, share the reason why. Let people know that there is only one name under heaven whereby men can be saved. That it is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's not at the name of religion. It's at the name of relationship with Him. Shall we pray? Father, we thank You that it's so simple that you put Jesus to the cross to give his life a ransom for many. But Lord Jesus, it was your broken body. Lord, those stripes you took for me, for us, that scourging, that beating with the rod, the plucking of your beard, the spit in your face, and the crown of thorns on your head, leading to your Blood draining down on that cross. Lord, as you offered up that first supper, you said, take eat, for this is my body broken for you. And you said, in like manner after the supper, you took the cup and supped. This is a new covenant. Lord, you've made it simple. We need to believe and then grow. And so, Lord, we thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood. Make us, Lord, into that living witness. Lord, help us to preach the truth with our lives, with our words, or with all that we have, because we do believe your word is true. And so, because of your word, we know that you love us. Because of your word, you died for us. Because of your word, you've said, remember you with these things. And Lord Jesus, we remember you this morning. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Let's partake together.